Greetings, everyone. I'm Dr. Susie Harris, and this is my podcast, Next Seven, bringing you information and action-oriented ideas for participating in leaving our next seven generations an earth that allows them to thrive. I'm truly thrilled this morning. I have two of the most powerful influencers from Common Roots here with me today. And just briefly, we'll get deeper into it, but uh, Common Roots is a nonprofit community organization that connects farmers, educators, youth and families, and the wider community in building a sustainable future of organic farms, nourishing foods, and healthy kids, which gets my attention. I love that stuff. Let me first uh, introduce Carol McQuillan, co-founder and program director of Common Roots. She began her career in special education at the University of Buffalo and continued with a master's of education at the University of Vermont. And Carol has worked with children for over 40 years, including her 20 year tenure at Orchard School in South Burlington. And then she transitioned into volunteer directing Common Roots for the past 12 years, where her passion for food education and food access transfers into community action for improved school food systems and sustainable local agriculture. Welcome, Carol. Good morning. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Woo! <laughs> Girl, and that's not the half of it. <laughs> there you go. Well, before we go on, though, welcome. So, and I'm so happy you're here. I wanted to also introduce uh, Joanne Denae, a land educator for Common Roots and much more. Uh, Joanne has been an early childhood educator for 42 years and finds great joy in integrating the themes of farm, food, and forest education. She was director and head teacher at the SUNY New Paltz Children's Center, where she was growing food organically in community gardens for nine years before moving to Vermont. She founded the Tommy Thompson Burlington Intervale Community Garden in 1970 taught at Poker High School and Lake Champlain Waldorf for the next 35 years. She's an author, a mentor for Waldorf teachers, and teaches biodynamic gardening with children. Again, welcome, Joanne. Thanks. Almost impossible to get what the two of you do on paper, actually. <laughs> well. It's all joy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for being here with me today. Um, I wanted, absolutely, we're going to cover the information that uh, you have to share today about your programs and services. You've worked so hard to make all of these available uh, to people in our community. Uh, but before we go there, I wanted to get a bit of a view in on your hearts so people kind of know who you are a little. Um, starting with you, Carol. Mm -hmm. uh, you've had quite an extensive career working with children. I was wondering, could you tell me what it was that inspired you to begin a program like Common Roots? Well, as a classroom teacher, I was seeing um, our children having access to high industrial food. At the beginning of Common Roots, our children could go to breakfast and get tater tots, sausage on a stick, Pop-Tarts and hot chocolate, which of course is zero fuel for learning. And that grabbed my attention. And also realized that the way we feed our children at school needs to actually propel them 
towards becoming healthy citizens. And so there was a huge disconnect. Mm-hmm. So with that, um, we, as a group of teachers, uh, parents, school nurses, administrators, we had um, conversations about the health of our children and the issues of our mostly industrial food system at our schools. It was also, I'm gonna say underpinned, if you will, by the work of Shelburne Farms with the Earth Charter in 2001, really came away with an essential question that was crafted by Ben Kahn in Shelburne, Vermont, which was um, spoken by Willie Nelson in a powerful film called The Last Link. And the question really is, what stand are we willing to take to preserve for our future the roots of our past? Mm. In relationship to food, we were looking at our past of, if you look back as few as 60 years ago, we were an agrarian society by and large. And with the birth of the industrial food complex, we have seen um, our land, if you will, desecrated by chemicals, by mm-hmm. monoculture farming, by 20 plus food um, products of sugars being spewed out of corn products, by and large um, funded by our government in the ag world, and really causing havoc with the farm life that an agrarian culture would enjoy that few years ago. So the stand I was willing to take as a classroom teacher is to connect with other talented nurses, parents, Dr. Jill um, Reinhardt, who's a pediatrician in our community, and really have those deeper conversations with our school board we were able to get farm to school on a strategic plan in 2007, but being that by that time I had been around the block a few times, I know that action items on strategic plans are only as good as the, um, the fuller action plan behind them. And by, and, then- and by farm to school, you mean getting organic foods from the farm into the schools? Farm to, food, farm to school across the nation is has many different iterations, and um, but the main focus of farm to school is to teach children in classrooms and cafeterias and connecting them to the community of how we can build a healthy organic food system. Mm-hmm. With that challenge, we were recognizing that getting farm to school on a strategic plan doesn't mean that it would be funded by the school district. And by and large across the nation, if you look at the last 10 years, farm to school, getting on school budgets and staying on school budget has been a major challenge. Mm -hmm. So a group of seven met every Monday night for a year minus a couple of holidays And we discerned in 2008, before the market crashed, that if we were serious about farm to school education, working with the classrooms, the cafeterias, and the community around a healthier food 
system and education for children that we should form a nonprofit because especially when we look at the farm that we've been on 12 years, uh, the farm at South Village, you can't maintain those budgets on a school budget. So we um, took the deep dive mm-hmm. and in 2008, our articles of incorporation went in. And in 2009, we became a nonprofit to do two major things. Focus on food education as deep and wide as we could including farm to school in classrooms and equally as important, healthy foods, organic foods, local farm grown foods for families and households who face food insecurity. And that number in 12 years continues to rise. That's amazing. Paying attention to the need in the community and bringing something really high quality to it. That's amazing. Thank you for explaining that. Um, Joanne, just for a moment, coming back to you, when I see you, I think respect for the land and its deep history, it just seems like, I don't know, you just have such an amazing connection to land and forest and all of that. I was wondering, what is it in you that has you being so dedicated to the community building and connecting communities to land like that? Well, I have to say, I'm gonna talk a little bit to the corn that um, Carol mentioned because that was a deep diving in place for me as a young child. So my father grew up in some farm country and my mama was from the city and um, Our backyard was a combination of lovely flowers around the flagpole or my father's vegetable garden. And I lived uh, as a young girl on uh, Long Island, which uh, was called Salmanaka by the First Nations people there. And um, their activity became known to me by taking the rocks out of my dad's garden. Mm -hmm. And every once in a while, one of those rocks would look like a Indian paint pot, and some of them would look like potatoes. And the Indian paint pot really caught my attention. And it gave me this deep sense of wonder about the invisibility of the potato farmers and the invisibility of the native people who had obviously grown and lived right in my backyard. So these were things you, when you were digging in the earth at your home, you were bringing up out of the dirt. I was, and I wondered what happened, where were the stories of these people that once grew food here? Mm. And so corn for me in my later years, after pursuing a long-standing interest in native agriculture and earth-related food traditions, I became very disturbed by what Carol has mentioned earlier about all the ways that corn has been manipulated and all these different products have been extracted from corn, which are not sacred, which are not the health giving foods that native nations thrived on for thousands of years. We turned a sacred food a four letter word, C-O-R-N, that was once received as sacred into a different kind of four letter word, 
in that ingredient list that Carol rattled off. And so I really um, passionately tried to reconnect people with the sacred experience with the landscape and that what we do to the earth comes into our own body. And so I had the great privilege of mostly working with very young children, early childhood for the bulk of my life. And there I saw how they were relating in a sacred way to the landscape of the earth. And it was something that was disturbed as they grew older. So I just really took up that um, invitation to meet them in that place in the sandbox in the garden in the forest floor mm -hmm. and um, carry seeds of a different nature into their experience. That's amazing. Really gives a rich backdrop to the work that you do at Common Roots, not to mention the other things you've been involved in. But um, I wonder, can you take a second and uh, let us know about the farm to school lessons um, and some of the adaptations you've had to do during this COVID time? Well, surely we started out um, years ago before I was even a member of the lovely Common Roots community. Um, farm to school lessons were being delivered in 60 classrooms every month for um, 12 years now. And our wonderful farm to school educators really brought a deep connection to the children's relationship to food. And the way that was done was um, learners in the classroom were really exposed to seasonal and local foods. And they were chosen to build on their culinary skills and their wellness. So this connection to the rhythms of the local landscape and the connection to the dedicated hard work of our farmers was, you know, a portion of each lesson being brought to the children. Mm. Um, but most importantly, I would say listening to their own body talk was really helping them relate to their own rhythm of their physicality and the work and the play that they were um, meant to do. So for example, you know, listening to your body talk in relationship to eating different foods helps the child understand, what do I need when I'm feeling a little tired? What's a good satisfying pick-me-up? What do I need if I'm feeling a little jumpy and I need to calm down? Or how do I help myself think and move through lessons and projects and, and, and tests? You know, what foods are helpful for me mm -hmm. to um, to reach into my body talk and address that by making wise choices. That's so awesome. every lesson really um, guided the learner into a sensory experience to discover, you know, how does my digestive process or how do these other parts of my body be served with food? And um, by taking the children through a 40 minute lesson, they could move from seeing a whole food that perhaps they didn't even recognize um, into the ingredient part of it. And, you know, how does this, um, this structure of this food get changed by the way I work with it with a knife or scoop things out with a spoon? And all of that sensory approach, which happened over this period of time of a lesson, really starts the whole salivation and digestion process, right? Because the smell oh. of the food on the, the griddle and watching the textures change into something 
vaguely or completely unfamiliar, um, really help the children let go of certain perceptions they have about that particular food. And this just brought them into a familiarity and a comfort level that eventually brought them to feeling super brave when it came to our taste testing portion nice. of the lesson, right? And um, we had something called, you know, don't, don't muck my yuck. No, don't, what is it, Carol? Don't yuck my yum. No, Dara, don't yuck my yum, right? <laughs> don't okay. yuck my yum. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, they would, they would in a, in a very private way, reveal with a thumbs up or a thumb sideways or a thumb down, eyes closed, what their feeling was after tasting that food. So everybody could speak to it, but not, you know, um, put a certain perception out into the classroom. That's amazing. It's a joyful experience. And then, you know, siblings would go home with a different developmentally appropriate lesson each month. And over the, you know, the dinner table or in the kitchen trying that recipe, there'd be lots of different levels of conversation that, that could be shared in the family. Joan, I'm going to intercept here with a very cool story. So after our farm to school lesson on spaghetti squash, it was about the time where we started our farm to fork meals at the Wheeler house. And we were, we took a very large crock pot of our vegetarian chili and our meat-based chili next door to the Karen's arena. So people whose children were in hockey would know that on Tuesday nights, we have this yummy opportunity of whole food next door uh, that supports food education and access. And a fifth grade girl went and tasted our chili and she saw in the chili, the spaghetti squash she had just learned about. She goes, mom, mom, there's spaghetti squash in this chili. And mom goes, what's spaghetti squash? Yeah, nice. <laughs> this great girl proceeded to tell her about her farm to school lesson. So, um, <laughs> One of the highlights of our impact, if you will, is that when children are in our schools, and right now we're limited to South Burlington schools, it doesn't mean in the future we won't go beyond, but we have to figure how to sustain this budget before we branch out. Um, children who've been in our schools from kindergarten to fifth grade, go to the middle school with over 50 explicit food lessons with taste tests. That is a very strong foundation to understand a multitude of different foods, where they come from culturally, especially, how they're good for our body, and what is the function in our body when they eat that food. So it's and Carol, is that... Um... Is that happening in the classroom? It happens in the classrooms and the teachers are present. So we're also educating teachers who may not have known what delicata squash is or what is turmeric. And um, every lesson is vetted with the school nurses because of the number of allergens in our world's food at this time. Um, and so it's been a very thoughtfully grease machine from the school board to school administrators to principals and of course to the faculty. Nobody has ever said to the South Burlington teachers, you must and will have a farm to school lesson. When we presented a one pager to the director of curriculum, Mike Martin this summer, 
and he brought it forward to the principals. They all wanted us back and figured it out with COVID. And I was delighted when um, my former principal, Mark Tefilios, when I was thanking him for, you know, welcoming us back and figuring it out with uh, the COVID issue, he said, we consider you essential educators. And that mm -hmm. just meant the world, right? I mean, that was a, a very um, heartful statement. Of That's beautiful. So we really do want these lessons um, to carry on. Joanne, do you want to tell a little bit about um, the blogs and how our educators connect with families? Sure. There's lots of different iterations of how we deliver this education um, to families and children and educators. So we have our classroom experiences, we have our videos, we have a full-blown curriculum that's available as extensions to our um, farm to school culinary lesson. So um, there's a variety of ways that these opportunities can reach um, families. And COVID especially has given us great or opportunities to um, be paying attention and emphasizing wellness. So um, we have had to adapt all of our lessons now so that they are COVID wise. Um, I, I don't use the language COVID safe in our curriculum because I really want to bring forward a picture of being able to empower ourselves through our through our thoughtfulness and the ways we, we move about to um, use COVID-wise strategies. Mm. So we've had to revise our cooking demos in the classroom and our lessons. Um, and so there's less culinary skill building using um, for a student. They're not using their body necessarily, but they're observing a lesson. Mm -hmm. So um, these, these blogs and these <clears throat> the availability to the curriculum online gives families an opportunity to do skill building at home and to actually replicate the recipes if they wish. That's great. So, so there's, they still have access to this, even though the complications of COVID classrooms was, has presented. We're committed to delivering this information. And so I think it's actually boosted our capacities. Um, COVID has been a gift in that way because we wouldn't have had the impulse to dive into video production, right? Mm -hmm. um, or, or supplement the parents with so much information or with educators with really being um, advocates for supporting the remote learning that teachers now have to develop. We're really supporting educators as well in having access to multidisciplinary approaches to that particular, particular food lesson. The good news there is that these lessons now do go beyond South Burlington. So we are connecting our episodes of eight films um, throughout um, Vermont, New England, and the United States. And we have it built into our farm to school educator position. Um, Lauren helps us to uh, network that. And Shelburne Farms has been a very uh, amazing partner um, as well through their feed, Food Education Everyday um, support person, Betsy Rosenbluth. And so we are able to share those resources because it costs money to develop meaningful films with talented educators and a good uh, crew. So those are available. 
And so these films, are they, are they like sections of curriculum or what are they? Well, we began our first one um, celebrating the traditional Vermont harvest for apples. And so that first video was created to actually give an outdoor experience to the children. So it was filmed in the orchard with our wonderful steward of the orchard, um, Ted Colligan. And so we brought a whole ecological walking landscape lesson to the children, as well as a COVID wise way to press apples into cider. Well, that must've been fun. <laughs> well, I think it really helps to fill a gap of the experiences um, that one can have with their food in the natural world. So schools don't all have access to um, a school garden or a landscape that gives direct experiences. So I, I really appreciate that our videos are, are guiding children into um, an experience where they can lay their eyes on some greenery and a beautifully sustained, reclaimed um, organic orchard. So that was our very first one. And I would say the ecological message there was also including the honeybees as pollinators um, mm. of, our, of our apples, but of other foods. Yay, honeybees. Yay, honeybees. You know, we all <laughs> have this symbiotic relationship that we need to celebrate. And so the videos really dip into the stewardship of land and, and our relationship with the natural environment more mm. deeply than the classroom experience can give. So that broadened message is very well received. That's Our next beautiful. one that we're working on releasing right now is on squash. Um, and so we have celebrated and cherished the First Nation Abenaki community for carrying that seed down to us for thousands of years so that we do have that now on our festive tables throughout the winter and especially around Thanksgiving. Mm. So, you know, we have a blog that um, enhances the farm to school lesson in the classroom. And then we also have a very extensive multidisciplinary curriculum available online that we post when we release each of our videos. And this brings the older students into exposure to food justice and environmental issues that affect our communities. So we invite them to explore, how can you become a soil hero? You know, how can you become a hunger hero? How can you become a community organizer? That's amazing. Some actions that they can actually take to be involved in making a difference. Right. And so, you know, it just, it's just steeping us much more deeply into the messages that Common Roots is, is carrying mm -hmm. forth. And are those curriculums, is that something people can access for free? Yes, mm -hmm. it's available. We post it online with the release of each of our videos. And interestingly, I might just add that um, our curriculum addresses the um, age of four years through prenatal and elder nutrition. So wow. we have not left out any members of our community. So That's it's no longer just oriented to school um, grades. It's oriented to every age human being that we want to celebrate with wellness. That's amazing. So you're, you're, that area that you're describing is steeped in accessibility to so many things. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to ask you, Carol, can you talk a little bit about the food security portion? 
Yes, I, I attribute this really um, on our founding group of seven who met every Monday night for a year. A very talented woman who's now in natural resources at the University of Vermont, Leah Mattel Skiff. Um, Leah Mattel um, said in our group meeting way back in 2008, the first thing we should do is grow organic food for families who face food insecurity. And I was like, now that's really bright. And when we look at the words of Dr. King, the time is always right to do what is right. And by and large, many of the donations that go to our food shelves are boxes, bags, and jars. And the reality is that when we eat from the rainbow of nutritious foods, we are really nourishing ourselves. And so that is the very first thing we did even before um, our lessons began the fall of 2009 we got access to some land at the farm at South Village through Will Rapp. And um, we just started growing food for families. And we started with 11 families. By the second year, we were serving 25 families. By year three and beyond, we were serving 40 families. Wow. These wow. families were identified by school social workers in teams um, from our five schools, three elementary and middle high, each school could identify eight families struggling to nourish themselves well. And they had access to these organically raised foods. Uh, really thoughtfully, some talented leaders in our community had been meeting in 2019 and made a decision to open a larger food shelf, knowing that we were only serving 40 families identified by social workers and the need is much greater. On November 1st, 2019, the South Burlington food shelf opened and our budgets for the food we grew for families was around 20,000 a year. And then uh, COVID happened and we doubled the um, volume of food we were um, giving and we boosted our yields on the farm that is organically certified at the farm at South Village and the Underwood property owned by the city of, of South Burlington. <laughs> and we don't just drop off the food, we literally set up a farm stand. So there's a farm stand at the South Burlington food shelf from May through Thanksgiving. Every time they're opened, our volunteers and interns are masked. People come and they literally can select whatever they can use for the week. We grew over a thousand extra plants of, of veggies and herbs with little um, brochures on how to grow this food so uh, families and households could experiment and grow some of their own food, building their food independence and you know, an opportunity to see how does food grow. And then also um, we grew about 40 different crops this year. And so that's the kind of variety that food shelf participants could select from. The stories from the food shelf are very powerful. Maybe my favorite one is a woman from Mexico, was born in Mexico, has a very amazing daughter here in our city and she was astounded when she came from Mexico and saw the cost of buying healthy and certainly organic foods 
and realized she couldn't afford them. And so she has been blessed with our, our food and very much a, you know, a, a volunteer for Common Roots is, along with her um, having access to some of our bounty. And she talks about how much it means to her and how it's made a difference in her family's life. So wow. it's one of many. That's amazing. So the farm stand, what a beautiful way to lay that out. It just mm -hmm. brings uh, a level of respect and beauty to the families mm -hmm. coming to grocery shop. Amen. Wow. That's what it's about. That's profound. I really, that touches my heart. Um, I wanted to just chime in for a second about the reason that I'm having the two of you talk about your work here is that, you know, this podcast is meant to get awareness up about the importance of organic, healthy, nutrient-dense foods making their way to everyone's house. I mean, it's tricky. It's a lofty goal. But um, I feel like in my office, I see ages, you know, newborn to elder and everyone in between. And I think with children especially, they're so easy to help out because they're so healthy and perfect. Um, if something's going on, <clears throat> excuse me, if something's going on for them, it generally comes down to a food issue. I mean, for as you get older, you know, your body care and your makeups and your beauty products and things, a lot of different layers of life can be an issue for why a certain health problem is happening. But for kids, it really, what I mostly pick up is pesticides as a toxin hanging out in their body. Um, sometimes it's chlorine or chloramine from not realizing that we probably need to filter our water if you're on a town water system. And, um, you know, the lack of affordability of organic foods, you know, parents that want to do it but can't seem to pull it off. And so, um, and I would say definitely hearing you describe the, the curriculums in your school, it just makes my heart leap because when I think about kids getting that and bringing that home, it removes some of the uh, barrier that I see in my office that is uh, families just struggle with getting their kids to try new things. They're so inundated with juice box chips and, you know, not food bits, <laughs> you know, foods, you know, that are trying to look like food, but actually aren't, but it's popular, it's affordable, it's at every kid's cool party. So when you're trying to entice a child into trying more vegetables and fruits and be involved in shopping and cooking and, you know, it's, it's the curriculum you talked about that just feels like a great, uh, a great gift to households that are trying to shift. But yeah, we end up, we don't really need to do a lot of detoxification program with my children who might be showing up with gut problems or bedwetting or skin issues or focus issues, ADD, ADHD. When we flip their food, it is huge. And it doesn't take very long because they're so little and perfect um, that it's just, it's a huge thing. And, and uh, I, I feel like I'm following in the footsteps a little bit of Dr. Zach Bush. He's a autoimmune specialist. I think he's in Virginia. 
But anyway, he he's now working on farms, we're farmers, because he knows we cannot keep pace with the amount of childhood illness. 54% of our kids are dealing with chronic illness. You know, the cancer, the autoimmune, all of these things. If we target food quality and make it accessible to everyone, I feel like we're hitting the base of the flame. So uh, really, really excited to be uh, trying to bring information like yours into more awareness uh, so we can just keep moving toward this goal of you don't walk into a grocery store and look for the non-poisoned food because none of it's poison. (laughs) (laughs) I hope that's not too stark of a remark, but you know. Can can I tell you a a little story um, about how in the farm to school lessons, we are trying to transition children into becoming friends with unfamiliar foods. So one Mm. of our recent lessons was um, on acorn squash. And um, we purposely, I worked with Lauren on this, I I mentor her in in, uh, her lessons, and we purposely hid the ingredients from the children because we were using acorn squash. Um, And so it was a mystery pudding that was being served that day. Mm. So the lesson was delivered on squash and they got to scoop out the seeds and see the beautiful color and learn all about this particular food. Um, But then when they, they were, it was being prepared, they were doing, they were busy doing a a matching seeds to different squash um, lesson. So they were all had popsicle sticks with seeds glued on them. And there were different squashes in front of them on the floor. And they had to try to guess which seed went with which, which squash. In the meantime, the educator is, is doing a preparation with the acorn squash where she's disguising it with cinnamon and maple syrup. Mm. And it's been pureed into a little pudding and it's this beautiful orange color. You know, it's just been Halloween. That color of the orange pumpkin is very attractive to all the children and they all taste it and they can't guess what the ingredient is in the mystery pudding. (laughs) But Everyone was a thumbs up. That's amazing. <laughs> in the team. So one of the exciting things about working with these unfamiliar foods is almost all of them can be adapted with a little bit of roasting or washing, uh, roasting or, or steaming. And if you add a little apple cider vinegar and salt or a little bit of maple syrup and cinnamon, a lot of these foods can be transformed into something as a really yummy substitute for something else. Mm. So much easier to get a, a sweet little one to try that out. Right, or you just stuff that squash into the pump, into the muffin recipe or into the zucchini bread. And if you put the right sugars in there in the right proportion with some nut flours, you can really build this nutrient dense food that hides these lovely, lovely foods that we tend to eat less of as young children, but they get, they get to experience that and befriend that and have more opportunity to um, try things they felt reticent to try before. So food's just a great avenue to do experimenting with children. And, and you can reduce the cost impact by just going and getting farm fresh squash by the pound instead of 
prepared food. So mm-hmm. there is That's a little huge. bit of a way to ease into that, you know, that serious concern about affordability and access. Mm-hmm. I think I'd like to go back to the opening question. What stand are we willing to take to preserve for our future the roots of our past? Mm-hmm. And I have to say, as an educator, it's actually 50 years this year with children. Wow. Um, I have to say that we have a national issue here that needs to be addressed from the top. What Common Roots is doing is grounds up grassroots and what needs to happen, like we change seatbelts, smoking and helmets by having very intentional curriculum. The hope for a healthier citizenry lies in are coming together as educators on many different levels and building food education into our current curriculum, which by and large right now does not exist. So Shelburne Farms and um, other educators from the area, myself, when I read the science standards in the K through five curriculum, I was deeply Um, saddened to see that there was nothing explicit in food education or environmental um, awareness for a healthier planet. And so Mm -hmm. while we are grounds up, we need to come with some top-down initiatives as a nation and really address that in curriculum, if we want healthier children and families and communities we have got to teach our children well. So I haven't forgotten that important part of our scope of work. And there are many educators and national collaboratives who are also wrestling with this, but it is time to make a stand to get food into school curriculums so that it's not dependent on nonprofits or passionate teachers, but it really is seen as essential to the health of our nation. I have a question for you about that. So who is or what organization is the target to get that top layer interest and policy making in place? Who, who are we targeting and how do we go after that? Well, In talking with Jen Cirillo at Shelburne Farms and other people like Megan Camp, it is really working with national curriculum, which is in different areas. So there's a national curriculum um, that is a health curriculum. So there are leaders in health curriculum per se. There's also uh, science um, associations that bring forth curriculum in the areas of science, which certainly food and agriculture and stewardship of land also intersect with. So that is the work ahead of us in the next in the next decade as we move into the 20s, uh, 2020 uh, decade, it is time to really um, bring it to that national attention to the key uh, educators that do write curriculum and really advocate for that because the health of our nation According to the CDC, we are heading towards spending $257 billion a year 
only on issues related to the weight of our nation. Mm. It behooves us to figure this out because that is on the backs of the seven generations that we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, wow, I really appreciate the two of you taking the time to sit and talk with me today. Um, I wanna make sure that our listeners know how to find you. Um, we'll definitely put some links in the notes that are, that are linked to this podcast show. Did you want to speak to anything about how people can find you or is the link how you we're want just, to do it? We're just, yes, we're just www.commonroots.org. You'll see our programs and our movement towards sustaining our program budgets. Um, so we are um, really heartened to have had more than a decade of foundation and we know that we are only in the beginning steps to making a fuller difference in our mm -hmm. communities and our nation. Well, I thank you so much for your work, Carol and Joanne. I, uh, again, am bringing more of my own mission forward about raising awareness. Uh, the next seven generations really do deserve a planet that allows them to thrive. And I feel through access to organic foods, clean water, and uh, access to functional health care, that's the path for getting there or one of, and I really, really appreciate the, the impact you're having on the area of clean food and accessibility. Thank you for being with me today. Thank you, Dr. Susie. Thank you for your good work. Okay. Enjoy you both. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.